My name is Remy, and today I'm going to be reading from Genesis 11:27 through 12. These are the family records of Ter. Ter fathered Abram, Nahar, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Ter's lifetime. Abram and Nahar took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahar's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved onto the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by the stages to the Negev. a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but will let you live. Please say you're my sister so that it will go well for me because of you and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her as my wife. Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Amen. Thank you, Remy. Well, if you're new with us, and you're looking up here, and you're like, hey, that guy's an imposter. He ate Frank. Um, I didn't eat Frank. He's on vacation. I'm Patrick. I am the youth pastor here. Um, And here's what I want us to do. Can you just take like 30 seconds to a minute and pray together? If you want to pray with your family, that's great. Just pray with the next person next to you. If you want to just pray by yourself, do that, and then I'll kind of jump in and interrupt you rudely. Sound good? Let's do this.
Father, I pray that this uh, text that we are in today would not just be about information about you, but that you would use it to transform our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would bring us into your presence, and that we would be forever changed. Uh, not because of anything I'm going to say, but because of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. How's everybody doing? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Wow. Um, context is very important when we read Scripture. Uh, context is pretty important just generally in life. Because uh, this, this is funny. Um, last, at least I think it's funny. If you don't laugh, it's okay. Won't, you won't hurt my feelings. Last year, sometime in the quarantine period, uh, we were at home, and the four of us were sitting on the couch, and we were watching. We got sucked into one of those National Geographic uh, shows about bugs. You know, it just, just captured us, right? And we're sitting on the couch, and we're watching this, and they were talking about butterflies. And um, they were talking about monarch butterflies and how they mate. And on the screen... The, the, the video on the screen was this male monarch butterfly carrying, like flying and carrying a female butterfly. Okay, context. That is what we saw on the screen. Male butterfly flying, carrying a female butterfly. Now the narrator was talking about monarch butterflies mating. And the narrator said, you know, monarch butterflies can mate for up to 16 hours. And Declan said, Dad could never do that. <laughs> now, Declan had no clue what he actually said because the context for what he was seeing was I could never carry his mother for 16 hours. I won't explain the rest. But context is very important. And so here we are in Genesis. And if I were to do, if we were watching a Netflix series previously on Genesis, we are looking for the offspring of the woman that will crush the head of the enemy. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There will be an offspring, and we are to look for this offspring because this, this, this child is very important, okay? That is the context that we are in in Genesis. And so if we back up, I know Frank covered chapter 10 and 11, but last week he also preached my message, so I'm going to go back and add some things to his because we're tag-teaming it. Um, and in chapter 10, you have this table of nations, if you will. Okay, so it's the three sons of Noah and all of their descendants. And then it kind of like hits pause. In chapter 11, we have this uh, Babel account. Okay, and then in verse 10 of chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, I suggest turn to chapter 11 because I'm going to look at some things here. If you have your phone, that's great. Don't be on uh, Instagram or whatever. Sorry, youth pastor, I have to say it. Um, chapter 10, or sorry, chapter 11, verse 10, 
it focuses back on Shem. Okay? So we have this account of Noah's sons, Babel account, and then it goes back to Shem. So we as readers should go, oh, there's something important about Shem. And it says, these are the family records of Shem. Shem lived 100 years and fathered that guy. Uh, our Pakashad. Two years after the flood. And after he fathered that guy, Shem lived 500 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Verse 12, Arpachshad, he lived 403 years and, I, I skipped one. He lived 35 years and fathered Shelah. After he fathered Shelah, Arpachshad lived 403 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So if you were to go through chapter 11 and underline the name, and it ends with fathered other sons and daughters. And so they highlight one son, probably the firstborn, and then it's this tag, fathered other sons and daughters. And you can go through chapter 11 and you can underline all of those. But then what's interesting is then there's a shift in verse 24. Nahor lived 29 years and fathered Terah. After he fathered Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Terah, this is verse 26, lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, or Haran, or however you want to pronounce it. And so as readers, we're supposed to look at that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. something's different about this one. It tells us three sons. And again, we're looking for this offspring. So what is going on? What, what is the author doing? It focuses in, and then verse 27 is a complete departure from this pattern, Okay. So verse 27 is important. It says, these are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay? And Haran fathered Lot. Interesting. So Haran, he's important. Verse 28. Haran died in his native, oh man, in his land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So no, he's, no, that's Okay. So verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives. And so we have two of the sons left. Uh, Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Verse 30, Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. So again, if we're reading this and we're careful readers of the text, Abram, his name means exalted father. But he's married to a woman who has no child. Now, if that's not irony, I don't know what is. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans, somewhere in Mesopotamia, to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, somewhere between Mesopotamia and Canaan, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. So this is our setup. This is our context. Abram is a nobody. In fact, at this point, we're confused about why Abram's even being talked about. Because he has no children, and he's married to a woman who cannot bear children. But his name is Exalted Father. 
to, to give us some more context, if we flip to Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, we read that Terah worshipped other gods. This is Abram's father, worshipped other gods. He was not a true God worshiper. And so, most likely, like his daddy before him, Abram worshipped other gods. And so he's a nobody. He's from nowhere. Or he's living in somewhere between Mesopotamia, which we would have known about, and Canaan, which we would know about, somewhere in between. It's interesting. This is our background to chapter 12. So the Lord said to Abram, this is chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Guys, this is a big deal. Up until this point, you know how many times blessing has been talked about? Anybody know? Like, roughly twice. A couple more times. But uh, God looks at Adam and Eve and he blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. God looks at Noah and his family and says, he blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Everything else that's talked about after Genesis 3 up until this point is what? Anybody? Starts with a C, ends with an E, rhymes with hearse. Curse. Good job. Everything up to this point, after chapter 3 to now, is about this curse of the land. This, this sin. This devastation. This murdering evil people. And God, for some mysterious reason, appears to Abram, who is a nobody, again, living in the middle of nowhere, and he covenants with him. This is crazy. Abram has done absolutely nothing to earn God's favor. And let's read this again, because Abram was supposed to do something. The Lord said to Abram, so somehow, some way, some fashion, we don't know, God appears to Abram, and he tells him to go out from his land, one, go out from your relatives, two, go out from your father's house, three, go to the land that I will show you. So Abram is supposed to do something. God says, and if you do that, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You yourself will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is in the backdrop of everyone being cursed. This is amazing stuff. This is God promising something, okay? All right, so, so 
here we go. Um, I got to talk about blessing really quick. What is blessing? I think in this context, again, right, be fruitful and multiply. God blessed him. He said be fruitful and multiply. So fruit, fruitfulness and multiplication have to do with blessing. I also think what's evident in the context, and we're going to go through this, is that blessing meant that God was going to be active in this relationship with Abram. I will bless you. I will be with you. I will be your God. Okay. So that's blessing. Put that in your mind. It's not um, somebody sneezed and you say, bless you. It's not um, uh, stuff. It's not a nice Mercedes. Abram probably had a camel. Maybe. We don't even know. All right. So verse 4, let's see. We'll jump in here. Uh, story continues. We're going to see how Abram is doing with what he was supposed to do. You remember those four things? So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Leave. Abram did it, right? So we all go, check. Good job, Abram. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Wait a second. He said, leave your relatives. What's going on here? Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai. Okay, yeah, you're supposed to do that. His uh, nephew Lot, questionable. All the possessions that he had accumulated and the people that he had acquired in Haran. In other words, he took with him his father's house. Okay. Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem. Oh, wait, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, when, set out for the land of Canaan, and when they came to the land of Canaan. So he gets to the land that God was going to show him. That's evident here in the text. And so we see this, like, kind of quasi-partial obedience to doing what God commands him to do. But again, we have to remember, Abram is a nobody from nowhere, and he worships other gods. And then all of a sudden, this, this, this one true God appears to him. And so I think Abram is kind of working through, do I trust this God? Is it like his promise? Like, my wife is barren. Like, I don't know. So I think there's some confusion. There's some partial obedience going on. Okay. So he gets to the Canaan, and he starts this kind of, Overview through the land. Abram passed, this is verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan at the Oak of Moray. And at this time, uh, the Canaanites were in the land. So there was occupied land. And verse 7, okay, this is part of that context of blessing. Abram is now a blessed one. And this is God appears to him again. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so it's a, a repeat of the promise. But you have to remember, Abram doesn't have any kids. He's got his nephew Lot, and he's married to Sarai, who can't have kids. And so there's got to be this level of, okay, that would be awesome. So he built an altar, which means he sacrificed there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And in other words... Abram, in response to God's promise, he worships him. Uh, verse 8, he moves on. Again, he's kind of doing this overview through the land. He goes to Bethel, or in the hill country between Bethel 
and I. And end of verse 8, he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. He wrote the song, I Raise a Hallelujah. And he stood there and called on the name of the Lord. He worshiped him. And so we're seeing this develop, this relationship that Abram has with the Lord. Okay. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. This is the desert in the south area of Israel. We don't really know why he goes there. But the author usually kind of starts to set us up for what's coming next. Okay. Again, context is important. Here we have this episode uh, uh, with Abram going to Egypt. So here we go. Verse 10. All right. Let me back up. We have to remember something. Moses is writing this account, and he's sharing it with the people of Israel, okay? He writes the Pentateuch. Israel has come out of Egypt with the Exodus, and they've wandered, you know, in the desert, in the, in the wilderness, and they're about to enter the land of Canaan, and, and they're reading or perhaps hearing the, this account that Moses has written, right, to them. And so I want you to imagine for a moment that you are Israel— you're not. You're the church. But imagine for a moment you're Israel and you've just come out of Egypt. Okay, you've just come out of slavery. You've been in the wilderness for 40 years. You're a new generation and you're hearing about your parents and grandparents and their terrible time in Egypt. Okay, verse 10. There was a famine in the land. Uh-oh. So Abram went down to Egypt. No, 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 don't do that, Abram. That's bad. We just came from there. Right? That, like, that's, the, that's what we're reading in this text. To stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, this is, this is what this is, is Abram not trusting God. God just told him, I will, I will bless you. I'm going to curse anybody who treats you with contempt. You're going to have children. They're going to fill this land. And I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you. Famine strikes. Abram's like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to get out of here. We have to go to Egypt. They've got the Nile. They've got water. They've got food. We'll go there. We've got this. I got this. Okay? Sound familiar? Anybody else do that? Okay. Uh, They go to Egypt. This is when it gets really bad. Uh, you know how like one bad decision leads to more bad decisions, and then you're just kind of like, what have I done? Okay. Uh, they will, where are we? Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken. The blessing. The offspring. What are you doing, Abram? This is a really bad, you ever watch someone make a bad decision? Don't do it, please. Okay. Uh, 
So a woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male, female donkeys, male, all this stuff. Uh, verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Abram lied, you guys, kind of. It was a white lie. Because really later we read that Sarai was kind of his half-sister. Um, so it was kind of like the truth, but it wasn't. Sorry. Um, so Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now, here is your wife. Take her. Go. Get out of here. This is like the people hearing this, the Israelites are like, wait, he sent plagues? He just, I just heard he did that. That's why we're, whoa. It's kind of like a mini exodus. And what's interesting here is Abram lies. He gets himself into this position, but God honors his promise, and he gets him out of it. Should have flipped my notes a while ago. But here's the point. Despite God's promises, Abram seems a little unwilling to trust him. That resonate with anyone? Do you all know God's promises? Anybody feel a little like, I don't know. I don't know. I got this job. I got security. I got all my stuff. All right. So that's the story that Frank gave me. said, share this with them. So I've done that. Check. Frank is going to continue on. He's going to pick up next week in Genesis. And so I want to focus in on something that is evident in this text, and that is the end of verse 3 in chapter 12, where it says, All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What did God mean that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through Abram? This is a big promise. There's a lot of people on the earth. Like in, in Abram's mind in this time, right? Like, like there's people on the earth. He's probably not even thinking like, like if you add time to that, there's a lot of people that are of the, of the ground, of the ground, that's what on earth means, the literal in, in the Hebrew, of the ground. God made humanity. What did he do? How did he form Adam? Mike Blackson. From the ground. All the peoples of the earth would be blessed through Abram. Okay, so I'm going to make some jumps. I'm going to steal some of Frank's messages coming up, but he did that to me last week, so it's justified. Spoiler alert, Abram has a, he has a son. In fact, he has two. Ishmael is another one of those, what are you doing? But we'll, we'll cover that later. Abram has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who become the tribes of Israel. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 tells us, this is God speaking, that he would make Israel a light to all the nations, to be his salvation to the ends of the earth. 
You know what that word salvation is in Hebrew? Yeshua. Anybody else got chills right now? That Israel is going to be a light to the nations to take my Jesus to the ends of the earth. See, what God was telling Abram when he said, all peoples of the ground of the earth will be blessed through you, is that this snake crusher, this offspring that we're looking for as we read the Bible, this man that would come from woman that is going to destroy the head of the enemy, he's coming from you, Abram. He will be among your descendants. His name is Jesus. That is an amazing promise that we read here in chapter 12 in Genesis. Blessing to all the peoples of the earth comes through Jesus. If you don't know who Jesus is, he's born of the Virgin Mary. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. If you want to learn what blessing is, read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Blessing comes from Jesus. Here's why. If blessing is God being active and interactive and relational in my life, that does not happen without Jesus. Because that curse of the ground is so inside of me that I am so about myself that I can't see anything beyond my, me. That's sin. But what Jesus does is he comes and he, he takes on flesh and he lives a perfect, sinless life so that he can become the perfect sacrifice. Abram's already doing this. He's building altars to the Lord. He's sacrificing. We see this in Genesis chapter 4. God sacrifices something and he gives them skin. We read through Leviticus and the rest of the Old Testament and sacrifices mean something because sin has to be atoned for. And Jesus comes and he becomes the perfect sacrifice. He becomes the atonement once and for all. He dies the death that you deserve because of your rebellion against God. He literally takes your place. He pours out his blood that you owe. That's what he did on the cross. We sang about it. Did you sing about it? I sang about it. That on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and he died to take away my sin. That's what we sang earlier. How great is he that he would do that for me? Beyond that, he dies the death. But then what happens three days later, God sees his, his sacrifice as sufficient. He says, that is enough. That is what I needed to bring my people to me. That is what I needed to bless all the peoples of the ground. Thank you, Jesus. Rise from the dead. Breath in your lungs. Jesus walks out of the tomb. We celebrate this on Easter every year, every Sunday, hopefully. Jesus is alive. 
Acts chapter 2, a lot of stuff takes place before then. You can read about it. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit invades the believer's heart. You believe that Jesus is God? Holy Spirit comes in. Blessing. God is active and interactive in your life. He is with you. That's blessing. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 probably says it way better than I ever could. This is Paul. There it is. Boom. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You hear that? Jesus reconciled. Ben, y'all can come on up. I was supposed to say that. <laughs> Forgive me. Christ has reconciled us to the Father. And so there's blessing because he's with us. And we are with him. We can, we can experience God in our lives. But it's not just that we are blessed. It's that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we have this blessing to bless, to be active in the promise to Abraham, to bless all the peoples of the earth. In other words, to tell them about Jesus if you go to Uniontown Bible Church and you're a member at Uniontown Bible Church, then you know our vision statement. It's written on the wall out there. It says to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. That's the vision. Not that I would do it alone or that Frank would do it alone or that Jeremy or anyone up here would do it alone or that you would do it alone. Is that we would do this. That we would share the blessing. That is Jesus. See, to kind of tie this in a bow, Abram was a nobody. In fact, y'all just go ahead and stand up now. Just stand up. <laughs> Stretch, move your legs, do whatever you got to do. He talked it's far too long. Abram was a nobody, and he was from nowhere, somewhere between Mesopotamia and Canaan. And he did absolutely nothing to earn God's favor. Nothing. God looked into eternity, and he chose Abram, that Jesus would come through him. And you, you ready, are a nobody. And you live somewhere in Carroll County or beyond. And you have done absolutely nothing to earn God's favor. Zilch. If anything, you've worked against it. But are you going to share Jesus with everybody else? That's the question.